This is the Sustainable Goat Podcast. We look to nature for how we should interrelate to the world. All the answers are within nature if we take the time to listen. But what we have to find is a reasonable way how to handle plastic. You know, consumers expect more. They're expecting brands to be more sustainable. They're choosing sustainable brands. These are the stories and ideas from those that will define a generation. I'm your host, Steve Kassinem, and this is our planet in focus. Let's dive in. I would love to just start with a little bit about you and just where you grew up. What's kind of your background? Yeah, so I grew up in the Northern Virginia area, the DMV for anyone familiar. I grew up there about 30 minutes outside of DC, really awesome area. I actually then went to boarding school for high school. I didn't do anything wrong. That's everyone's first question when I tell them that. <laughs> I was afraid I was a good kid, but the school was very unique and was small. It was on 2000 acres of land. And by that point, I was already very into sort of environmentalism. And it just seemed like a really cool place to be able to explore that, which turned out to be true. It was very, it was a very crunchy school, just to say the least. We planted <laughs> trees every weekend. I was part of the environmental stewards. We'd go on trips and then pick up, we'd literally walk home like an hour from, you know, certain events and pick up trash and along on the side of the road, like willingly, like it was, it was awesome. It was great. And then following that, I went to school in DC. I went to American University which was also a great experience, even though the pandemic did happen towards the latter half of that. But it was still awesome. Took some really great courses within sustainability, business, environmental studies. So it was, yeah, it was awesome. What was that like when you were, I mean, as a high school experience, if you will, I mean, that's <laughs> that's unique. And you're, you're also fully immersing yourself in it though. I mean, did that yeah. kind of give you a different perspective on kind of how you saw the world? Because I mean, mm. wherever it lands on the spectrum, it's still like another perspective. Absolutely. Oh, that is such a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. And it's so pertinent to my experience there because, you know, it being on 2000 acres of land, we had a pond big hiking trails, it really did cultivate that that community-driven stewardship of the environment. It wasn't just, you know, of course, when you're young and you play and you do appreciate being outside, but the idea of, okay, well, this is our temporary home. We spend a lot of that time outside. You know, we're playing sports, we're going on hikes, we're also planting trees. It really did blend that enjoying being in nature, but then truly caring for it as you know another home, especially as young people who are exploring it together. And, you know, we had an organic garden, we composted. And <laughs> so it definitely was, that's a really good question. It was really unique in that way and definitely set the path for my later environmentalism and, and career. So I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for it. Yeah. What did you kind of bring with you that you think you kind of do today or use today? Maybe there's a, a few things that kind of stick out. I would say one thing is, this sounds very militant, but it actually really wasn't. It became very routinal, but we would have audits every day where the environmental stewards club, which I was a part of, of course, would go around to all the dorm rooms and just do quick checks during lunchtime. So making sure like that your cords were unplugged, your lights were turned off, your fan was turned off things like that. And that your recycling was sorted. You just like a quick check around and you would get like 
you get marks such like demerits if you have, <laughs> you know you're like your courts plugged in and stuff so I guess kind of on like a slightly like humorous but kind of true level like going into college it did like there were just certain habits that were already ingrained so that was great but then I think also just a confidence and a sense of identity with being an environmentalist like I think prior to the boarding school in the, the schools that I went to growing up it sounds kind of cliche but it, it really wasn't cool to care <laughs> going to a boarding school that just in general values was just a big thing that was thrown around a lot this value for the environment and having that be like a cool thing that you could you know wear on your sleeve was something that also made me really confident going to college with that where I hope I wasn't annoying but I would engage with other people on my floor and I became really involved in my school so that confidence I think absolutely as well yeah, I, I think it's an interesting concept of just how people perceive environmentalism over the years. Um, it almost has taken a, mm. it's gone from extremism to acceptance to misunderstanding to understanding. I think there's so much involved in it. You know, what is considered an environmentalist? Is it a person who is constantly talking to people about the planet or is it the person who's walking the walk or is it both? I mean, I think that definition is complex to me. Totally. With, with you, was there like a moment where that there was sort of a turning point into that world? Or do you think it was kind of like a slow burn or just exposure like as a kid? Interesting question. Yeah. I mean, growing up in, in Santa Cruz, California, I mean, I grew up across the street from Redwood Forest. So I was immersed in nature, go hiking and yeah. down by the beach and you just get this natural appreciation for nature. And I mean, my I remember my third grade class, we would Every once in a while, I think it was probably like once a month, your sense of time when you're a child is never accurate, but <laughs> but we would go on walks and we would just identify what the plants are and what they did. And we'd have slideshows and you just had this education of what nature was. Wow. And I think that just naturally ingrained in me to kind of look around at nature and want to kind of be a steward of it. But you also had the other side of, you know, kind of if somebody didn't want to be open to that idea. It was kind of like, no, you got to listen to it. And I was kind of like, hold on. I think it's about kind of discovering that. How do you show someone a better way? Mm. And that's where I think that my first, I guess, calling to it was kind of like, hey, this is just, it's a special experience to be out in nature. So what can we do in our day-to-day -day lives collectively as small things that can preserve this thing? Like it doesn't necessarily, yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you have like an indirect impact by just doing your day-to-day -day life? And that's where I think, it's been an interesting development in culture now that it's kind of starting to integrate. Well, I think that's really interesting. Like something that you were, you were saying at the end of kind of talking about being a kid and it's just that, that question of showing versus telling. And that's also why media and storytelling and what you're doing is so important as well, because in terms of what is an environmentalist, like how are we, like, what does that mean? What does that look like? If you're showing people, if you're exposing them to stories about things, about, about nature, people find their own access points. And then that is their own way to become their an environmentalist. There's no like cookies, cookie cutter, one size fits all. And that's what's so exciting too about, you know, this sort of new age where maybe because of advancements in digital storytelling, because of unfortunately just the climate crisis being more like thrust in our face, there's just much more of a rise of stories. And I think that kind of call for people to find their own environmentalist within, so to speak, is, mm -hmm. is really an exciting momentum to be a part of, for sure. 
And so when you finished school, what was kind of your decision <laughs> that you could make? Well, I ran away to Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, I kind of did. <laughs> you know, to be totally honest, after my last year and a half of school, completely online, I had, was doing three concurrent internships my entire last year, pretty just like fully sitting, very much sedentary in Washington, D.C. in a house with eight girls, which was its own interesting experience. <laughs> I went that summer right after college. I had some potential job opportunities lined up, but I was really just sort of in this crossroads and decided to go on a trip with my mom. We drove across the country. And then after that, I went to Hawaii with three girls that I met on TikTok, <laughs> which I had already been doing for about half a year at that point. And we went and it was just such an incredible trip for so many reasons. Like there was the one layer of how are four strangers who've had a 15 minute FaceTime call and that's it before deciding to go to Hawaii, like so aligned and such a, amazing natural friends, but just also realizing how restorative, even in a few weeks, I was on the North shore of Oahu. So there's oh, beautiful barely there. any buildings. Yeah, exactly. It's preserved land. Like the ag land is like really important there. And so just having two weeks where I was completely outside, my I felt like my health was, I didn't even realize what a deficit I was in from just like not getting sun and being stressed out and everything. And one of the other girls and I decided to move back for half a year and work remotely. So I started my own sustainable consulting business, continuing to do sustainable TikTok and other content creations for brands. It's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to run my own business and I'm going to really try to just reconnect with, <laughs> with the source, so to speak, mm -hmm. <laughs> but just really spend time in nature and, and kind of, yeah, get back to, get back to that, to that connection, which I had felt a lot of disconnection from, you know, over the past years prior. Yeah. So for about half a year, I was on the North shore. I barely wore shoes most days. I, <laughs> I went on hikes every day. I get up at obscene hours in the morning to work on East coast time, but it was totally worth it. <laughs> and I also just tried to learn a lot too. I tried to like learn about organizations that were, there's so much stuff that's happening there. You know, there's oh yeah zero waste, like zero waste Oahu, there's Surfrider Foundation. There's just so many companies and organizations doing such cool stuff. So that was awesome to learn about as well and connect with new people who are really into the same kind of things I'm into. Well, yeah. And I was curious on that too, because I mean, I've, I've been to the North shore and it's, I mean, it's beautiful and yes, the agriculture, but also really the community. I mean, it is like uh, yes. it's so strong there from a sustainability mindset too. I mean, it's a very, you're on an Island and it is a Island with a culture and they've been self-sustaining for thousands of years. Yeah, And so that I feel like is very culturally part of living there too. Absolutely. And I, you know, of course, like it's, you can't, I can't even have a conversation about this without acknowledging the fact that as a visitor, you know, there's always ethical quandaries and, and discussions to be had about, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a huge, it's a huge point of discussion. And it was during the pandemic, following the pandemic as well. So I tried my best to go and be tread lightly and observe and ask as much as I could. And i I definitely could have done a better job and I will continue to, you know, I feel very connected with that stretch of land, even as a complete visitor. And I really hope to continue learning more, but 
but you're you're completely right. I mean, I think it's almost hard to capture, let alone even pretend to fully understand. I don't think you can fully understand it. But I can, but it, I mean, I can't. You know, <laughs> but seeing this this community that one is so built around surfing, around the ocean, around family, and that shared sense of home that maybe my only other mild ability to relate to was from my school where it was like we were cultivating a the, the shared space and a shared sense of home for my boarding school but being there and just seeing just yeah like the connection people had with, with one another in the community land surfing and it was it was a gift to be able to at least observe that's incredible yeah well and and with your background too i mean i'm i would imagine treading lightly in that community is is pretty easy because you you did have that appreciation and that kind of home mindset which is incredible so it sounds like you've been to the north shore yes okay yes my brother lived on the island for about three years or so oh wow oh my goodness and very much kind of the same situation so that's awesome yeah it's just it's a truly incredible place and how much it changes from one side to the other oh my gosh it's crazy like south to north shore is crazy so yeah. Yeah. I think the entire time I was there, honestly, I went to the South Shore like four times. Like I, I avoided the city. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not. Yeah. So you also took this road trip with your mom. Yeah. Tell me about this road trip. Cause as a story based person, I, I love this that you did. Thank you. Well, after I graduated, my one request, my graduation gift was to go on a road trip with my mom. And we had been, I had been thinking about it for a little bit, but I don't I can't really remember the seed, like why. Maybe it was like literally just this feeling of running and away and being on the road, who knows. But I remember I called her, it was right before I graduated, and I just said, Mom, you wanna do do a cross country road trip? And I really had no idea like what she would say. And she was like, Absolutely, let's do it. So it was it was really wild just how quickly we were both like, Okay, let's let's make this happen. So we got on the road. It was June, mid-June. We left from DC and we did sort of like the Southern kind of route. And we stayed with friends for the first half. And then in the second half, we stayed we stayed in like some really insane Airbnb experiences. We stayed in the yurt. We stayed, you know, out in Joshua Tree. Just we really, it was such a colorful trip just in so many ways. But I think one of the things that, you know, you and I had talked about in our, the first time we met was this life changing playlist that also happened that we created during this trip, where the first day we were setting out for Atlanta, which is our first stop leaving from Virginia. She handed me the phone and she was, she said, okay, like play some music. And I was like, what do you want to hear? And she, she goes, well, maybe we should find an artist to play it that's from each state that we're going to. And so we started doing that. And then a few hours in, I was like, why don't we just make our own playlist where every single person we meet along the way, we just ask for a song that's meaningful to them and see what happens and just make a playlist out of that. Every single person. And she was like, what do you, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. Let's just, you know, everyone. So our first stop after that conversation, we pull over at a gas station. She's filling the car. I go into the bathroom and I went to get like a candy bar and a drink. And I was in line and I was like, oh my God, am I, I, I was nervous. I don't know. It, it felt just a little uncomfortable. 
I was like kind of looking around and I slid my candy bar across to the to the guy who was working at the front desk and I was just like I kind of blurted it out. I think I like blacked out. I was like, what's your favorite song white? <laughs> like it was just, it was like not it was it wasn't cool. It was pretty weird. And I just remember this so vividly though because I felt like he looked up and like we looked in each other's eyes and he smiled. And I had just it was like this weird realization that I don't think we would have even looked in each other's eyes. Like it would have just been this quick, like transactional, like, you know, I'm buying something, he hands me my car back and I leave. And maybe, like, I say, thank you. And like, how are you? But like, not really saying you are a person, you know, we are connecting right now. <laughs> so when he, we looked in each other's eyes and he had this smile erupt across his face and he told me, he was like, oh, it's this, this song by UV40. And and I'm like, oh, what's it called? And he told me the song. And I was like, why is it your favorite? And he's like, oh, it makes it remind me of when I was young. And I was, I felt really happy. And I just, from a good time in my life, I was in the UK at the time. And like, mind you, we're in like Georgia right now when we were having this conversation. So it's just interesting, like, you know, finding out about this guy's story a little. And he goes, wait, I'm going to play it for you. So he, he like runs away. <laughs> and then before I know it, it's playing in the entire gas station, like outside. And I see my mom like through the window and she's like looking around like, what's going on? And then after that initial, that initial interaction, which was so amazing. I was like, okay, I get in the car. I tell her like, we're doing this. So we went the next two and a half weeks or so. We continued having just the craziest conversations. Every person we met, we asked and then ended up with a four and a half ish hour playlist. That was kind of like a portrait of our trip and these people and kind of America too. You can kind of even see like changes as we're driving in terms of like the style of music. Texas was its own whole vortex of like <laughs> interesting songs. It was awesome. There's so much good music that comes out of there. So yeah, it was, it was honestly life-changing, those conversations. Did it almost get, I mean, not easier, but almost exciting because I would, I would imagine it obviously got easier just to start asking people but it did it start to become I mean did you guys guess what someone's song was at any point we're like oh I wonder would they choose this genre I think what was exciting was realizing how all of our guesses would be wrong yeah and just being kind of checked by your own prejudices about people that kept happening over and over again. And I love that. There's things that you hear and there's like lessons people will tell you. But again, going back to kind of an analogy to what we said a few minutes ago is you really have to like show, not tell or experience. So having someone say like, don't judge a book by its cover. We all have heard that. But when you talk to someone and you're like, what is this guy based on what he looks like, you know, from the middle of nowhere, Texas, he's probably going to tell me this. And for him to say something completely different and have a story behind it, it kept happening over and over again. So that feeling of surprise was what I looked forward to. That feeling of like, oh, of course I shouldn't have even tried to guess because there was no universe in which I would have guessed correctly. So that was something, a feeling I began really looking forward to. And you're also right. Like you got, it gets easier. You know, I felt more confident and I didn't feel like, I realized too how quickly the barrier of entry is to connecting with people. Like, I think, I don't know, I have this personal theory that most of us, it's kind of wired in that we want to connect with one another, but we're just so 
jaded by like the walls that, you know, society has kind of like put in between us that sometimes all it takes is just like a question, even a weird one or something that just can be just that like little window, that little portal. I think music is such a universal connector. So that question of not necessarily what is your favorite song, because that can be a little paralyzing to people, but what is a song that is meaningful to you was like my twist that I felt like was able to get people to open up a little bit more. Yeah, that's honestly, that is incredible. Because I think, yeah, from learning stories from people, I mean, you, that is also your own perspective on the world too. I mean, you see the world in this way because you've talked to all those people and actually experienced those stories. Mm. And I think that part of that natural curiosity I think we have of humans is we do wonder about how does that person do that or what's this place like to live in? You know, you just kind of, you, we have a curiosity when, especially when you travel. Definitely. And I think when you can build that community around a conversation or a connection, that isn't polarizing. It's powerful. And I think those stories that you can then take with you, totally. that's where you have the ultimate impact. I mean, what I've been so fascinated about stories that it's, it's the only thing that's really been the common thread through history. Mm. It's different ways we've always communicated stories, but that is history is they are stories. Totally. And so everybody has a story and how do you just tell it and share it with someone else? And so I think that process of how we can share a perspective of a world is through story. And so that's kind of what we do, but that's what I love what you do is specifically is because I think in sustainability, that story is important because yeah. you take those expectations, those thoughts, those things that you're like, I, it's gotta be like this. And then you're completely surprised because it's completely the opposite. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's so, so true. And I mean, I think just, I love that you said stories like the common thread throughout humanity. I also think it's one of, if not like the keys or a key to climate action, like meaningful climate action and just sort of like preservation of us as a species, you know? I mean, it's there's this piece here too, which is like why I'm so amazed and excited by all the things you all are doing around story with movement people and place, you know, and I think I experienced that a little bit on this trip where when you're connecting with other people, when you're connecting with people who are similar to you or very different than you, you're also building your reservoir of compassion for others, right? And that ability to be compassionate is also deeply intersected with compassion you have for the planet. You know, you're taking care of the planet, not just for yourself and your loved ones, but for your neighbor, you know, so to speak, figuratively. And for their land, which if you visit and you come to un- to see or expose to or maybe respect, maybe maybe if a hurricane isn't happening to you, but you've seen the place where it is or you know people who live there, it expands your ability and your awareness and, and you know your own why for when it comes to environmental action and protection. So I think that, I mean, even if someone can't, get up and move and and travel and do all that like it's really amazing to be able to like watch videos or listen to your podcast and hear about different people in different places that that are doing different things it's essential yeah what do you think the narrative a few of the major narratives of sustainability are right now in your perspective oh that's really interesting i feel like because of the work that i do and that 
also just being a digital creator in the sustainability space, I feel like there's just so many different arenas in which I hear and see different narratives happening. Like there's this one narrative where there's a lot of pressure and blame that sort of thrust onto the consumer and to the everyday civilian to do certain things, this like laundry list of things that puts the responsibility of the climate crisis on their backs. And I'm sure this is, you know, something you're familiar with too. Like, you know, you have to like have all these sustainable products and do all these daily habits and walk everywhere and never drive. And that's what's important or recycle, you know, and as, as more information and more really interesting Journalism is coming out about some of the problems within the systems that are often put on people, recycling being a great example. Hopefully that narrative, which has been a little bit, has been around for a while, those narratives are being challenged more. And people are realizing like, yes, those things are great, but also it is a lot on corporations. Something that people can do is use their voices and be activists and vote. And, you know, those things are all net more powerful. I think there's other narratives that are happening. I think one that I've been seeing is just within business with businesses in general too. I think there's a lot of like greenwashing that's happening and that's really icky to see. But that's happens a lot right now too, especially as companies are realizing like, oh my God, like consumers are gonna start not buying our products if we don't we're not sustainable or pretending we're sustainable or whatever. So, you know, that's, that's not great. But that being said, another narrative that I am really excited to see more and more, especially within my space with other content creators is just more of an emphasis on education and inclusivity within storytelling. It's like, which voices are we listening to talking about sustainable action and stories and making sure there's diverse voices at that table, I think is happening more and more and that's really exciting to see yeah but i've been curious about from you too yeah no i i love that narrative that you just brought up because i think that is that is an important piece we've had so much media just thrown at us in general that the hardest part now is how to discern it totally and i think that is the turning point right now we're at a media capacity and now it's about quality diversity and pretty much how can you tell the best story possible and how can you be the most authentic and mm. paint the picture in the most real way rather than the slant that you might need for a business or whatever that is. I think people are more interested in the realness and the authenticity. That's so true. That is so true. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think I see that narrative a lot. Um, I see a lot of the business pivoting, going the direction of sustainability. Thankfully, the ones that we talk to are are doing it with the long-term mindset, not the short-term mindset of just how do we ride this wave of sustainability, but instead, how do we put it in our DNA and our business model? And so I think you're seeing a lot of this, how do we build a foundation? I mean, I think it's the most exciting time right now for a company, even as a consumer. I mean, you have so many choices now and you have so many people who are innovating in the sustainability space that you have almost this gold rush of ideas that are like, we can make this material and that material and they're all actually sustainable. Mm. And so now you have all these options and it's like, what's going to be the balance of these materials? Because overconsumption of any material, you're going to run into any type of problem at capacity. So how do you take find these balance of whether it be natural fibers or water consumption? How do you just balance all these things? And so you see businesses think more about that because 
at the end of the day, operationally, it improves their revenue because they're more efficient at the end of the day if they don't have as much waste or they don't have. So I think there's a little bit more of like a, okay, we can actually run a business sustainably. It's not just a message we're saying. Totally. That's a narrative that I'm really interested in. Totally. I mean, when it's just by the numbers, when it's just when it's just smart business, then mm-hmm. that that's the most influential of all when it comes to getting businesses to shift their like core, you know, models. And you know, you're seeing so much more movement towards green finance and investing, and that's exciting. That's exciting to see, and I'm I'm sure that's something that you know you deal with a lot too, and in, in what you're doing as well. I think something that I'm curious about too, because you have so many conversations with people who are in such different like areas of in the space is in terms of narratives, maybe like we're all kind of exposed to them. Some people have maybe are exposed to some more than others, but I think in terms of your own personal mission throughout those narratives, sometimes a big part of that is morale and staying focused and sort of, I'm curious, like when you've talked to different people, if you've seen or heard or sensed people kind of struggling with staying course or keeping up morale despite narratives that could otherwise like make them feel like be, you know beaten down upon or just disheartening does that make sense <laughs> like totally that's a great question cuz yeah i so one of the things i actually just wrote on a on a whiteboard was a concept i've been thinking about is the preservation through innovation so like how do you preserve the old but bring in the new oh my gosh I'm writing that down. That's writing that down. I mean, Earth, how do you preserve it through innovation? And so I think that the morale side, you have this movement towards like wanting to do something new. I think the staying the course part as a person who's running a business, most of the things to make this transition are expensive. And I think the hard part is it's twofold. One, you're trying to survive as a business. You want to make the best decision you can. Like I highly doubt many businesses actually want to harm the environment. Yeah. Especially when they're harvesting from the environment. Like they know their material is going to run out eventually too. So, but the bigger the company, the harder it is to shift. There's a lot more moving parts and the more that I've been able to learn about the really deep complexities of the companies, they're trying to make the efforts it just takes a, a lot longer. And so yeah, it may seem like greenwashing. Sure, some may maybe playing a little bit of a false story, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are trying to move that direction. But the exciting part is really the staying the course part is really the financial part. Things are more expensive yeah. when it's more sustainably made, whether it's the R and D, whether it's the material, whether it's the production model, you know, those things, I think they're still expensive. And so when you have a choice to have your company survive or make a sustainable choice you're probably going to choose to have the company survive rather than make the sustainable choice, but you're going to make that sustainable choice the first moment you can, or you'll wait to make the sustainable choice and you have to put the business on hold. But that's where some of the hard decisions come for businesses. So I think from the consumer side, I think it's a little bit more about that discernment and research of what does the company have a path to sustainability? Are they actually trying to and being transparent about saying, hey, look, we're not perfect. We're a growing company. I know we we have some things that we're improving, but here's where we want to be in five years and we will stick to it. Yeah. When you have that happening, I think that's much more powerful than just, hey, we're doing the sustainable thing and just kind of rolling the dice. Because even sometimes the sustainable option right now doesn't actually last very long. So it's not as sustainable. Oh, yeah. And so I think that there's this just huge shift that's happening between resiliency and sustainability that 
you need to meet that quality and the material. And we're just in this weird gray area where it's almost like the wild west. But there's this weird disconnect that's also happening where I think brands, some companies don't realize that if they were to tell their story and what they're trying to do in the way that you just provided that example of, that it'd be way more effective. So sometimes it can come across more greenwashy than they actually are, or than it really is in general. And But then that doesn't really, what's happened because of that too, when it comes to consumers or the public, there's one level of just like not really being able to discern or kind of critique and think in that gray area of like, okay, a company isn't just good or bad, black or white often. Like usually there's a lot more there, a lot more that they don't know, but sometimes they're not getting even the full kind of communication or transparency that might make them trust more. So from your perspective, I mean, you work with brands every single day. Do you think that it's it's shifting to more of a situation where they go, look, you are the expert on this. You actually know the audience. We need you to communicate our brand to the audience. Or is it more, Mm. we have this narrative. Can you just grab a megaphone and say it? Yeah, I see both a lot, to be honest. But I also feel like I've been able to also sense different energies around that. So for instance, I have felt when there are some brands, especially some big ones that come to me and are almost like frantic a little bit or like it feels like there's more of this like this erratic energy around trying to just get a message out very quickly or just like not really being thoughtful about like in a true way about the people receiving it it's more like okay let's let's tell them what we're doing this way like almost like kind of a checklist like that we're doing this we're doing this we're doing this we're doing this and not really leading enough to with just like heart and trying to connect and trying to be like, look, like we're also figuring this out. Here's what we're doing. So there's that part. I tend to notice that like with some companies or some brands, especially ones that were quote unquote, you know, sustainable from the outset, like they're literally created with sustainability in mind. There tends to be more of that like slow roll kind of intentional storytelling. There's, there's that more understanding there. So that's maybe a bit of a generalization, but I've noticed that dif- those different approaches for sure. Yeah. Do you find that kind of an important component of of telling the story of sustainability is that it actually needs to kind of have this not slower pacing, but more or less an, an, an intentional thoughtfulness? Do you think that from like the consumer side that it's kind of trending that direction anyway, that people want that intentionality and they want that story to connect with sustainability? Because if you say just buy something because it's sustainably made, yeah. you're just telling somebody to buy another product. This is an interesting kind of like conversation about storytelling tactics in general too, because yeah, most people, if you say buy something because it's a sustainable product, it's not that influential. It's buy something because it's a sustainable product. Imp- implicitly, you are a good person or this will make your life easier or this will help you save money or by doing this, you're you're helping this tangible thing that you care about, or that those are the pathways that are most effective, especially in the age of short form content, where you have like a millisecond <laughs> to convince someone why they should care. And you can't, again, you can't tell them they need to care, you have to show them. And oftentimes that showing piece is first kind of leading with how it relates to them. And then from there, you can kind of build more into the empathy or compassion element. But that's what I've noticed for short form, like TikTok, Instagram content. 
podcasting is cool. It's a little different, you know, longer form episodes, different because people are also choosing, they're clicking there to what, you know, to watch or listen to that. So there's more of that initial choice. Whereas when you're scrolling, you're not able to choose, you're choosing if you continue watching. Yeah. What is that challenge like in terms of media? Because I mean, the media landscape has changed over you know, a decade. Yeah. Now it's it's much harder to actually get in front of an audience. So what it what is that hurdle that you often have to overcome? Because I think as a creator, it's it's a moving target, and you literally have to be right on top of it. Totally. That's it, and that's a good question. And it's also hard not to get demoralized and sort of down <laughs> in the weeds when there's like so much change happening all the time, and then you're also trying to build a community and you're also trying to be like you should care like care about this you know and having to realize that not everyone's going to and like that's okay and also when it's like trying to make money and, and sustain yourself as a media person when it comes to an industry that's kind of at this moment implicitly built on trying to encourage people to consume less and do do what they have do more of what they have right so, but then you're still trying to make money. So there's like this, right. there's, those are that weird contrast there that can be hard to figure out how to navigate as a person in this space for sure. And I'm sure maybe you probably relate to that in some ways as well. But yeah, so it's, and it's like just sometimes the wild west out there, you know, it's just like everyone's trying new things, you know, and it's, it's exciting, but it's also like what's going on. Things are changing all the time. These platforms, like, is TikTok going to be banned today? I don't know. You know, it just like, there's all these things that are just constantly in the air, but it's also fun and fun and creative. And there's a lot of community opportunity within it as well. So Yeah. So what's, what's next for you in your narrative of sustainability? Hmm. I am someone who is, you know, has been doing a lot of short form content, which has been great. It's been great to build a community, but I love longer conversations. I love digging my feet in the sand and my hands in dirt. And I want to be able to talk to people and tell stories and show stories that are longer form. And I think that that is sort of my next up level when it comes to my own learnings within sustainability. And that's my own ability to be able to like keep spreading that knowledge to other people helping people find their own access points of environmentalism, like looping back to the beginning. That's what's next for me. Oh, that's outstanding. And so there's always a few questions I ask every guest. Okay. And I feel like this is going to be an interesting one for you. Where's your favorite place to enjoy nature? I guess I would say right now, just because it's the most like visceral would be this one hike in on the North shore. And then there's one beach in the North shore. But I think, think I get, like that's where my mind first went but I also think sometimes you know even in LA right I'm like walking around and always just trying to move so quickly and when I feel disconnected if I just start kind of like paying attention to the green that I see or like flowers and plants and like really pay attention and not just like you know just like look and like look at the shapes and like like a like birds. I mean, it sounds so funny, but it's like that is my favorite place in nature. Then it's wherever I'm seeing right then. You know, and I feel a sense of stillness and home. But yeah, so I guess two two different answers. I cheated. That's fantastic. I I love that thought of 
wherever you are is actually your favorite place in nature. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting concept because yeah, there is a uniqueness about every single place you could be, whether it's the beach or the mountains or the desert or exactly even a city with some, you know, man-made parks. Like you can have some uniqueness to it. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Wow. So another question would be, do you remember your very first consciously sustainable purchase you made? Ooh, good one. There was a movie, a film called The True Cost, a documentary. Have you ever seen it before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I watched that in college and it totally changed. It honestly kind of set my like academic path. Like I changed my, I changed my majors after watching that movie. Wow. And I got really into sustainability in a more, in a different way than I was before where I was like kind of, you know, appreciated nature. I would have said I was an environmentalist and I try to do like little things. But I think after that, that was such an eye opener in terms of not only just the fast fashion industry, which was at the time fashion was something that I was like, and it's still am very into and passionate about. But just sort of the fact that like industries can blend so much, like people, planet, location, all that. So movies awesome. Definitely recommend anyone who has seen it to watch it. But after I watched that, I was having trouble finding sustainable fashion brands. And I cold turkey, I stopped buying anything that fell under the like fast fashion umbrella. So I guess after that, my next I'm, I can't remember like a single item, but like would be from a sustainable brand on purpose or and then anything else of course like secondhand or hand-me-downs but like after that movie i have not bought anything from like a company that was new that wasn't sustainable so probably in college i would say that's incredible yeah i think wow that's that's early before i mean really fast fashion was taking a stage though of you know really people kind of shifting yeah i mean the true cost definitely helps with that but i think yeah people forget how much goes into actual fashion and clothing and longevity and the materials and the water and the shipping and the dyes and the totally you know you start layering all the things and you realize it's actually a really complex system totally that is kind of operates on pennies on the dollar if you will and so when it becomes penny pinching that most of the time sustainability is probably going to go out the window because fashion is actually not a very profitable business until you are a made it as a designer or sell your brand to target absolutely and it's crazy because there have been I'm very like involved in the sustainable fashion space on various platforms and with other creators, which, you know, there's not a ton at the moment, but it is really cool to see a lot of these like small brands, you know, uh, small guys who are so mission driven and trying to create things that are so thoughtful and so intentional and, you know, with materials, with the supply chain and with everything but it's really hard for them to survive against these big, you can't, there's no competition. Like again, you can't say uh, they're against these big international conglomerates of just fast fashion machines. But I think it's, it's also cool to see now that more people are learning about sustainable fashion and care, people are trying to support those like smaller brands too, which is exciting to see. And I hope that'll continue, you know? Do you think from a fashion perspective, do you think things are going more towards locality or mm. kind of boutique sustainability materials too. Cause I mean, I think there's, there's also the idea of going to like your local place versus a place that just ships stuff in. Yeah. 
locality in terms of production or in terms of people going to places just like near them? Production and people going. Yeah. I mean, also, because I mean, part of the fast fashion industry is you got to ship it halfway across the world. It could be Sri Lanka, it could be Mexico, it could be Peru, Indonesia, like who knows? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great question. That's why sustainable fashion is so nuanced. If something's made from recycled polyester, that sounds great, but still releases microplastics. What if it comes from a factory, like you said, across the world where people aren't being paid enough? Like then it just becomes a lot more complex. I do think it is cool. I don't I don't know in terms of if it's going in a certain specific direction, but I think more brands are popping up now and they're trying different things. And there's a lot of like co-learning that's happening where maybe some brands have seen what's been effective for other sustainable brands and are kind of trying to mimic those things for the better, which is good. But I think materials tend to be the first thing, the easiest thing for brands to tackle. It's just like making sure that, especially the cheaper ones, yeah, like recycled plastics materials, recycled nylon, recycled polyester still aren't, they have a lot of complications with that, but they're pretty cheap to use. And there's already a lot of factories around the world that have access to those materials, but Oh gosh, this could be a whole other conversation. I like totally geek out on all of this stuff. Oh, the material is the coolest part right now. It's it's wild right now. That that space is crazy. I mean, we've had we've had a company called Tide. They're they're in the UK and basically they take ocean bound plastic, but they can take it and make it back to virgin plastic and use it as a 3D filament or whatever so you don't have as much material waste. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yes, you're acknowledging that there is you know, plastic and you're still using it, but you're not trying to use, create more of it. But part of their point was that you have to create a secondhand product, if you will, of recycled plastic, just as resilient and good as virgin plastic. Otherwise it won't hold up in the market. And so that's, that's the coolest part is like all these materials right now, they're actually thinking not just about the material and how quickly they can do it or whatever. Yes. Actually, how long can it last and what's the circularity of it? The life cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yep. We'll have to do it. We'll have to do a whole <laughs> yeah, other podcast we'll on that. Run. No, seriously. Let's have like let's geek out on it because there is so much to talk next time. Like so much to talk about with that, you know? I mean, endless. So yes. We'll circle back on that. One. Amazing. <laughs> Well, Delilah, thank you so much for being a part of this. Really, really amazing. How can people kind of connect with you, engage with you? What are the details? Thank you for having me. Um, It's been so awesome. Yes, please. I would love people to connect with me. You can find me on TikTok at Delilah underscore Isabel. Same name on Instagram. I always would love if anyone wants to email me and let we can strike up a conversation. You can email me at delilah.partnerships at gmail.com. Hopefully there will be more pathways and avenues of communication coming up soon as well. So looking forward to that. Amazing. But yeah, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Goat podcast. I'm your host, Steve Kassinem. With each episode, we can further define what it means to create a truly sustainable and resilient future. I think the new status is to show that, that you actually care. You want to drive change and you want to be part of a sustainable future. People fight for what they love. Let's really all start for a small but significant shift in the way we live, we consume, and we plan our life. Join us at Sustainable Goat.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com.